Some laws are good. Some laws are crazy. Here's some crazy laws that I came across. These are true laws, apparently. In Australia, it is illegal to roam the streets wearing black clothes, felt shoes, and with black shoe polish on your face, as these items are the tools of a cat burglar. In China, to go to college, you must be intelligent. There is a law that says that. In France, no pig may be addressed as Napoleon by his owner. In Maine, USA, you may not step out of a plane in flight. In Pennsylvania, USA, it is illegal to sleep on the top of a refrigerator outdoors. Indoors, it's fine, but whatever you do, don't sleep on a refrigerator outdoors. You'll be seriously arrested. In Utah, USA, it is illegal to cause a catastrophe. I agree with that. I think that's a good law. That's a really good law. In Canada, <laughs> this is a classic. In Canada, it is illegal to kill a sick person by frightening them. <laughs> oh, that's a belter, that was it. They obviously brought this law about because some, someone did this, right? Some dude frightened someone who was really sick. <laughs> that was it. That was just gone. We must make a law to stop this ever happening again. In Chester, UK, this is the best of the best. You can only shoot a Welsh person with a bow and arrow inside the city walls and after midnight. <laughs> These are legit, honestly. So a little loophole this. So someone's going around with a bow and arrow looking for his enemy. <laughs> midnight, right? I, legally, I can do it now. Laws are necessary because of injustice in our world. And ju- injustice is there, not because of God, because of humankind. So I'm going to take us through a number of scenarios tonight. First of all, the problem. Problem globally of injustice is huge. I mean, there's so many things we could say. Let me just start with some. One third of women around the world would say that they've been physically abused, coerced into sex, or otherwise abused at some time in their life, according to the Family Violence Prevention Fund. According to the African Development Bank, corruption in Africa cost African governments up to 50% in lost tax revenues. In in a continent where a good economy is so essential for the distribution of foods and for the well-being of the people, corruption is taking away life from those who so desperately need it. Proverbs 13, 23 says, abundant foods is in the fallow ground of the poor, but it is swept away by injustice. It's not an issue of there not being enough food on the planet. God, the way God is, God doesn't guide where God doesn't provide. God guides, God provides. That's just the way God is. God makes possible his ideas. God wouldn't create a planet and say, be fruitful, multiply, and fill this earth if he didn't make it possible that humankind could thoroughly fill this earth and there would be enough adequate provision for every human being to have three really good meals a day and nutritious meals so that, that we could fill this, popu- this, this world with the population of humankind and there would be an abundance of food to provide for every single humankind. God made a world that could do that. The problem isn't there isn't enough food. That's not the problem. The problem is distribution. The problem is the food ain't getting to the needs. Why? Because of corruption, because of injustice. That's the world we live in. Greed limits the supply. And even when the supply gets to the needs, often on the ground, local mafia and etc. divert the foods 
and steal from their brothers and sisters in their very neighborhoods. So corruption is the cause of huge suffering. Fuel prices recently have rocketed. As a result of fuel prices rocketing, there's been a huge inflation on food prices. And where that hits worst is in Africa and other continents where already people are way, way below the poverty line. They cannot afford foods and there's not much food going anyway. So poverty is exaggerated. Jam, we work with an organization, uh, Joint Aid Management. Over the years, we've given tens of thousands of pounds to, to help the plight, specifically in Africa. And they, they wrote to me recently, I'll read this letter next week. They wrote to me recently talking about how uh, fuel prices have inflated food prices and it's created a crisis and their, their aid work has just been multiplied as a result. What's that driven by? It's driven by greed. And that's unjust. I don't know if you get frustrated with our local news channels. I do. Because I feel very sheltered. I feel very Western. I watch the news and I see that one of the royal family hurt their big toe. And by the way, there's a war in Afghanistan. But what about the war in Sudan? Is that not absolutely colossal? Is the death toll not huge? Is that not one of the biggest things going on in our world just now? But how often do we hear about that in local Western news? The fact is, we get biased news. One of the, actually, as we plug here, Al Jazeera is actually very, very good at reporting in a very broad global way. So if you've got Sky and you tune into Al Jazeera, who watches Al Jazeera? Yeah, a few of you. Show really good coverage of a broad view of what's going on all over the continents of our world. You want to know what's going on, not just local interest stuff? See, the problem is bias. Every human being's got it. We've got bias, and our bias is to number one. And number one is ourselves. And what we're interested in is ourself. So if, 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 if there's food going, and people are starving, and, and I'm starving, then I will fight my way to get that food. And if, if there's things that I want to be interested in, then I'm going to be interested in things that suit me, and my interests, and my bank balance, and, and my family. Tragically, that's not the world we live in. The world we live in is a lot bigger than me. And the world we live in is a lot bigger than us. So it's important we, we have a global awareness of the, the world we're living in. And we have a sense of justice about the things that actually God is moved about. We talked about this this morning as well. Our sin is not just the sin of the things we do. The bad things we do. The aggression we show. The words we speak the activities we undertake against others. That's not just the sins. The sins are also the sins of the things that we should have done. These are the sins of omission. Things we should have done. Things we could have done. And in the sight of God, they're just as bad as the, thing, the bad things we did do. Just as bad as that are the good things we should have done, but we didn't. And we should have known better. Martin Luther King said, we have to repent in this generation, not merely of the wicked deeds of the bad people of the appalling silence of the good people, those who should have spoken up. And why do we not speak up? Because of number one. We don't speak up because of number one, because number one wouldn't like the discomfort that that would bring to ourselves. If I speak up, I'll become unpopular. If I say something, they'll, take it, they'll turn their attention from them to me. Number one's our issue. Locally in Britain, 17 women every day in Britain are raped. 150 people are found guilty of 
by court of drug offences. A new crime is committed every six seconds. A violent attack takes place every two minutes in Britain. And crime costs British businesses more than five billion per year. That's a lot of injustice. One in five of pregnancies end in abortion. 500 children are aborted a day in the United Kingdom. Six million abortions have taken place since the 1967 Abortion Act was passed. In Scotland, one in three women between the ages of 15 and 45 have had an abortion. I think it's unjust that children don't get to choose whether they live or not and don't get a chance to live. And the problem's number one. It's me. It's you. It's us. It's humankind. It's often it's those who are the innocent parties suffer because of the wrong choices that many people make. In Scotland, 19,500 children were taken into local authority care in 2007. 19,500 children in Scotland. That's a 20% increase from three years prior. Why is that? Well, they didn't choose their parents. And they didn't choose their parents would act in those ways. They didn't choose that those parents would be aggressive like they were and be abusive as they were and be aggressive at home and violent at home like they were. That's unjust. That The children would have to suffer and have to go without real, the, 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 their, their natural parents because of the injustice of their natural parents. And the problem is number one. It's me. The problem is you. It's injustice in humanity that causes the injustice all around us. Corruption is spreading in all different ways. Wherever you get human beings, you get corruption. Uh, in 2003, the Scotsman published an article uh, where it disclosed that there had been a, an ongoing five-year investigation in the Metropolitan Police to deal with corruption that was going on. And a key spokesman from the Met Office said that, um, this is what they said, driven by much higher financial rewards, the escalation in organized crime and the drug trade could offer. Police officers, were, police officers were taking part in even planning organized armed robbery, drug supplies and importation at a macro level, as well as major thefts and other activities to undermine the criminal justice system. Police officers were involved with partnering with uh, criminals and specifically in the, drug whole, the whole drug system. Why is this? Well, the problem is number one, because police officers... They, they, they sold out. They went for the money instead of the justice. Why? Because of number one. Because number one wants more money. Because what, number one thinks about number one rather than the, the repercussions and the sense of injustice it would bring in a whole nation. Proverbs 17 verse 23 speaks about that. It says a wicked man receives a bribe from the bosom to pervert the ways of justice. The wicked man, according to the Bible, will take, a, will take money instead of justice. Proverbs 28, 9 says, He who turns away from his ear from listening to the law, even his prayer is an abomination. As soon as you turn to injustice instead of doing the right thing, according to the Bible, even your prayer becomes an abomination to God. The fact is, we're living in a fallen world. The problem is, number one, it's humankind. That's the problem. And it's everywhere. So what happens is we get offended by people. You get offended in all different places. Some people have been offended in church. You come to church, lo and behold, people are there. And they offended me. Someone said something that offended me. Well, stuff this Christianity thing. No, no, no. You've made the wrong conclusion. 
The right conclusion would have been, well, stuff this humanity thing. That's a better conclusion. Because the problem isn't church. The problem is that people come to church. So stuff humanity, not stuff church. It's true. People get offended at church. Well, of course. Humans are there. If you analyze it and you really think about it, you also got offended at home. You also got hacked off at your workplace. So just church is another place where you get hacked off. That's fine. Because human beings are there. Injustice will take place. You'll be treated unjustly. People will treat you. And you're Christians. You should know better. Well, we're human beings who are trying to believe in Jesus Christ. And he's dealing with us. And we're on a journey. But if you analyze your life as well as judging everyone else's life, you'll figure out, actually, you're the most corrupt of all. I'm just joking. I'm just getting you. Ray Bevan said, if you haven't been offended at my church, you haven't been around long enough. So true. So listen, prepare yourself. Brace yourself to be offended at Destiny Church. Oh, but I want to come. This church is perfect. It's not like any other church. No, no. We're flawed. We're flawed. Just chat to your neighbor long enough. You'll figure out that they're incredibly offensive. They too are a human being and they will offend you. They will let you down. They, you can't trust them. You can't trust them as far as you can throw them. But you can love them. And you can just choose to swallow hard and get over it and just decide, well, actually, it's better that we just make a decision in the name of God to try and hang out with each other, even with our rough edges. Awesome, huh? Because you will get offended at church, I promise you. So just prepare yourself for it. It will happen. And when it happens, think, don't be surprised. Think, all right, that's normal because we're human beings. And say, God, help us. And he will. So injustice is in our homes. Injustice is in our churches. Injustice is in our nation. But God has something to say about these things. Injustice is in your home when you, do, when you choose as a, as a dad to treat your kids unjustly, unfairly. When you choose to put your wishes above your wife's wishes. When you choose to put your desires above what is best for your family. Oh, I'm just going to do my thing. Well, what about your family? I don't know how my family fell apart. Well, maybe it was number one. Maybe you just constantly thought of self rather than considered them. And we must take responsibility for number one. This is the problem. The Bible has a conclusion about humanity. Romans chapter 3, verses 19 to 20. Sorry, verses 9 to 20. This is what the Bible says. This is an incredibly encouraging verses for about humanity. It says, Jews and Gentiles alike, that's Jews and non-Jews, that's, that's all of us, alike are under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. I am. No, you're not. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does goods, not even one. Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know. This is the human race. This is an accurate description of our lives if you really think about yourself. Get over your optimism for a moment. Get a reality check. This is what the Bible says. How to get a low self-esteem really quickly. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatsoever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world will be held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in, the sight, in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. 
God's moral law pricks our conscience. We know, if you're honest with yourself, we're flawed, we're corrupt, and humanity is the problem. Humanity is the problem. That's the problem. Now we're going to look at the judge. The judge. You see, those who hold strong to naturalistic evolution, that is to say that a whole process of evolution took place by which all life came into being and that God had nothing to do with that whole process. It was just purely natural cause and effects and happenings and accidents and randomness that over a period of billions of years, and that's the only way they can even possibly try and argue away the probability of it, that giving it billions of years, that this is all resulted in this incredibly beautiful world that Richard Dawkins says has the appearance that it looks like it's been designed. Mm-hmm. Right. And, that, and, that's, and that, is, that is a naturalistic evolutionary viewpoint on our world. The conclusion of that, first of all, I think it's folly. But if you were to believe that, and I, I must ask Richard Dawkins this one day. Richard Dawkins, first of all, what you're saying is folly, but forgetting that for a moment, assuming you are true, why are you propagating this? Because what you'll do is this, taking your philosophy to its nth degree, then people will, will, will say, well, if there's no creator, then I'm my own God. Then I'm not accountable. I can do my own thing. There's no ultimate right or wrong because there's no creator. There's no one to whom I'm accountable. I can just do what I think is right for myself. If it's number one, to live number one like an animal, like a survival of the fittest, I'll fight my way to the top. I'll I'll get my way to the top of the food chain. I'll I'll beat everyone else down on the way there. And as long as I get up on top of everyone else, then everything's fine. I know that's, that's a great philosophy, Richard Dawkins. That would really help culture. That would really, if everyone bought into that, wow, that would make chaos in society. Great idea, mate. First of all, it's folly, but secondly, the fruit of that philosophy would corrupt humanity to the core. You apply that, Father, to your children. Teach them that there's no God. Teach them that there's no laws. Teach them that they really can just choose their own way and do what they want. Guaranteed, they won't be nice kids. Why not? We'll choose to do nice things. No, no, no. Never happens. It never happens. It didn't happen with me. And you're worse than me humanity's default is negative. I have an alternative. And the alternative is that there is a judge. And that actually lines up with the way things are, to be honest. Why is it? We know know intuitively, whether you've had a religious upbringing or not, there's there's a knowing on the insides that we are accountable. There is a conscience in every human being of right and wrong. Now, where did that evolve from? There is an inbuilt desire to worship in every human being. That's why all over the world religions have sprung up as people desire to express this desire to worship. There is an inbuiltness that would point to the reality that there is indeed a God who is a judge. The Bible says in, about this God in Psalm 89 verse 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne and love and faithfulness go before you. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. In a world where people are corrupt, the only one who has the right to judge is the one who himself is uncorrupted. 
And the Bible says that righteousness and justice is the very foundation of God's throne. That this whole universe would fall apart if God in any way allowed an ounce of corruption into his very being. God is perfect. He is pure. He is totally committed to justice and righteousness. God is completely holy and pure, trustworthy and just. Some people shake their fists at God and say, God, you're not good. You've caused these things to happen. You've ruined our lives. And they shake the fist at God. Often they do this after a catastrophe or after they've gone through some severe suffering in, the, in their life or they shake their fist at God. And I want to say to you that he is not the author of your negative situation. The suffering in this world is here, firstly, as a result of the fall of humanity. And secondly, because there's a bad devil out there. We're not going to get into him tonight, but I'm just saying you're shaking your fist at the wrong guy. He's the one who is totally just and righteous. If, if you were right, and if God indeed was the problem, then I tell you what, this entire universe would fall off its axis. Everything would fall into disarray. Because God in his very essence, in his very nature, his whole throne, his whole rule is dependent on there being justice and righteousness. His rule is built on that. Interestingly, one of the first titles ascribed to God is found in Genesis chapter 18, verse 25. And Abraham speaking to God says, will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? God, in one of his first titles ever given to him, is described as the judge of all the earth. God indeed is the judge. Supreme Court Justice uh, Horace Gray once stood as judge over a particular court case. And the man who was on trial, it was obvious that he was guilty. But because of a, a small technicality, he escaped conviction. Justice Horace Gray said to the man, I know that you are guilty and you know it. I wish you to remember that one day you will stand before a better and wiser judge and that there you will be dealt with according to justice, not according to law. This judge knew that while people may get away with things on planet earth, everyone ultimately will stand before God. Some people say, well, Adolf Hitler, he got away lightly. He just committed suicide. He didn't need to stand trial for, for the crimes he committed against millions and millions of people. The fact is, God will hold him to account. Rest assured, God, the just God, will hold him to account. He will stand before God, which is more fearful than any human court. In Proverbs 19, 26, it says, Many seek the ruler's favor, but justice for man comes from the Lord. This, we're living in a world where unfair stuff happens, okay? And you can, you can appeal to the courts, and sometimes even going that route doesn't help you. Sometimes, even after you've done everything you could, you got all the legal advice you could, sometimes injustices still happen. The wrong guy gets done, or the right guy gets let off. And it's, in, and it's upsetting, and sometimes we're let down, but I have to tell you, you need to appeal to a higher court. And he's called God Almighty. He is totally trustworthy and dependable. And the Bible says that justice for man comes from the Lord. So appeal to him. Run to him. My friend Ivan, um, based through in Glasgow, Ivan um, has done phenomenal things in India. He's got an orphanage there that was set up a number of years ago. 
and they care for some precious uh, Indian orphans there. And they have got kids staying there permanently, but they also every day open up the place so the kids from the local areas can come in and get education. And they're just doing a phenomenal work there. They're digging wells for the, for the Hindu community, just as a goodwill gesture to the, to the locals. And despite intense persecution and pressure, that orphanage has just become a little oasis of life in, a, in, a, in this awesome community. Ivan was, he initially set up this orphanage with a dear, dear man of God who Ivan became good friends with in India. The orphanage was up and running. And one day the man of God died. Ivan's friend in India died. He had a sickness. He didn't really talk about it. So no one really knew the extent to which he was sick. And then he deteriorated very quickly and he died. This, this good man's brother came and said, I'm laying claim to this land. And this good man's brother, who was, who was a gambler and uh, who was a kind of local gangster, he wanted to take the lands of his deceased brother. And he wanted to kick the orphans off the lands, take the land for himself and sell the land, make the money so he could do with it as he wanted. Ivan was over here in, in Britain and he was feeling incredibly frustrated, incredibly helpless. So he, Ivan brought the whole matter before God and asked God, God, would you deal with this man? who's coming and out of corruption and injustice, completely heartlessly wanting to kick the orphans off the land, take the land to be his own, uh, and he will use it for his own means. God, would you deal with that man? Within a week, that man dropped dead. Whoa. We serve a God who's passionate about certain issues. And when it comes to widows and orphans, if you read through your Bible, you will find that God is incredibly moved about those issues. That man who dropped dead, his son picked up the baton and started going to take, trying to take Ivan and the others to court to try and seize the land on behalf of his family. He wanted, his son hadn't learned his father's lesson and his son took, uh, it, well, Ivan took his son to the local court and uh, the son was defeated. Then the son appealed to the higher court. And again, the son was defeated. And eventually the son took the, the matter before the highest court in India, where again, the court case was overturned and the orphanage was given to the care of Ivan and the team. I've just heard recently uh, that that same son, that gangster, has gone to or Solomon, who now runs the orphanage. Solomon was an orphan himself. He grew up in the orphanage. And now he and his wife and, and two kids are there and they run the orphanage now. Solomon, a precious guy. He's, he's, just so you know, he's our destiny church leader over there. Awesome guy. But just in the last few weeks, uh, the son, the same one who took them to court and all this, the same one whose dad died suddenly, this same son uh, has gone to Solomon and threatened him and said, if you don't start giving me the money from the orphanage, I will shoot you. And he means it. So we're praying for Solomon just now that God will protect him. And Solomon's watching his back wherever he's going. And in that country... In that particular part of the country, in Orissa, the police are on the side of those with the biggest wallet. So uh, Solomon ain't going to play that game. So he's going to appeal to the highest court ever, God Almighty. You see, justice ultimately comes from God, and you don't mess with God. I believe God will judge everyone. Again, with this morning we talked about this, but God will judge everyone. It says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who is seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence. And there was no place for them. 
And then I saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. And another book uh, was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he is thrown into the lake of fire, the second death. Everyone dies. But the hope is that if your name is in the book of life, when you die, you will live. But the greatest tragedy is when you die, you will then stand before God and then you will be judged and be sent to eternal death, the lake of fire. God will judge. You see, if God didn't judge, he would be unjust. If God just turned a blind eye to sin, if God just brushed something under the carpet, say someone killed your brother, and then the judge said, oh, we'll just turn a blind eye to this one, will we? Whoa, 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 wait a minute. No, no, that wouldn't be just. That wouldn't be fair. That would be wrong. And you think God's just going to turn a blind eye to the injustice and corruption of humanity? Point one was the problem. And the problem is number one. And while we can say, oh, it's, it's the mafia there, or it's the government here, or it's the criminals there, or it's the pedophiles here, or it's the aggressive people here. Well, the fact is, we're all lumped into the same. We are human beings. And you're not going to tell me you haven't been corrupt. You're not going to tell me that you haven't been unjust. If you really analyze your life and look at the way you've been as a son, as a daughter, as a father, as a mother, as a husband, as a wife, as a colleague in your workplace when no one's looking, on your computer, wherever you, you're not going to tell me you're not corrupt. And yet we think God's just going to turn a blind eye. God will judge. He would cease to be just if he didn't judge. And if God ceased to be just, this whole world and the whole universe would fall off its axis. God is just, therefore God will judge. And here's where the next phase kicks in, tension, the tension. And it's the tension because God loves people, even though we're corrupt, yet God must judge people because he is just. And this is the greatest tension. In James chapter two and verse 13, we see a description of this tension. It says that judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful, but mercy triumphs over judgment. That's good news. You can smile at this point. This is good news. That mercy triumphs over judgment. Uh, there was a story from during the Revolutionary War in the United States where a Baptist pastor called Peter Miller, who was a personal friend of General Washington, uh, he lived in a particular town. And in that town, <clears throat> there was a man called Michael Whitman. And Michael Whitman was the arch enemy of this Baptist pastor. He hated him. He just had a personal vendetta against him. He did everything he could to try and uh, make the Baptist pastor's life a misery. And he would uh, constantly be derogatory towards him and, and put him down and aggressive towards him, even physically violent towards him. One day, unrelated, Michael Whitman uh, was involved in treason and was arrested and was given the death sentence. Peter Miller, the Baptist pastor, uh, this old preacher walked by foot 70 miles to Philadelphia to stand before Washington to plead for the life of the convicted man. He was given audience with his friend Washington and uh, Washington, and he pled for the man's life. He said, would you, would you forgive him? Would you 
Give him mercy. Don't give him the death penalty. Allow him to be acquitted. Give him a second chance. And Washington said to the Baptist pastor, said, I cannot give you your wish. I cannot give, I cannot, just because you are this man's friend, I cannot give you your wish. And the Baptist pastor said, no, no, I'm not his friend. Or should I say, he's not my friend. He's been my greatest enemy for many years. At that point, Washington said, you walked 70 miles to plead for the life of your enemy? In that case, that changes everything. I will give you your wish. He's pardoned. And that day, that Baptist pastor took home his arch enemy, took him into his own home and cared for him. And they became friends. That's a, an unusual but true story. But a, a greater unusual but true story happened 2,000 years ago where God Almighty came to the very world that was so corrupt, so anti-God, so unjust. And God, who is holy and pure and just, entered into human history. And Jesus Christ was born. It says in Romans 5, 7 to 9, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God, holy, just, judge, righteous, true, consistent, awesome, honest God, demonstrates his own love for us, us who are corrupt, us who haven't asked him for any help, us who have shaken our fists at him, us who have lived corruptly against him and against others. God demonstrates his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, much more will be saved from God's wrath through him. God himself did something because God has attention within himself. God must judge because he is judge. He must judge, otherwise he would cease to be just. But God also longs to show mercy. Why? Because he loves humanity. In God, there is this incredible tension. But the good news is that his mercy triumphs over his judgment. But it's not that God turned a blind eye to our sin. It's not that God just ignored it because that would make him unjust. God actually legally dealt with it. And the way he legally dealt with it was that he personally paid the price. Consider a courtroom. And in that courtroom, the judge is there with his wig on and big hammer. And there's the dude in the court and he's guilty. And he knows he's guilty. And the proceedings begin and they hear the evidence against the dude. And the dude is totally guilty. And the judge slams his hammer down. Guilty. And here's your sentence. And he pronounces sentence and he tells him what the fine is. And the young man knows, I've got no way whatsoever, not even in this lifetime, but many lifetimes to pay that kind of fine. And he slumps in his seat and he drops his head knowing that he's thoroughly guilty and the price, the fine that's been imposed is impossible to clear. Then a strange thing's happened. The judge takes, takes his own wig off. He lays his hammer aside. He comes down, gets his own checkbook out and writes a check and says to the young man, justice has now been satisfied because the, the price was paid. You can now go. Now that's, that's weird. But justice is satisfied. It's not that the judge turned a blind eye. The price was paid. The fine was paid. The debt was paid for. But also justice was satisfied, but also mercy was satisfied. That God Almighty took aside his wig. 
He was born in a little back of beyond place called Bethlehem. He grew up a carpenter. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He taught awesome things. And at the end of it all, he took his checkbook out. And he signed a check by his own blood. He paid the price. The ultimate price. His blood for ours. His life for ours. His death for our life. He died so we could live. He took our hell so we could have his heaven. He took our sin so we could have his righteousness. That's phenomenal. Other religions, their advice is this. Ah, live a better life. That's the advice of other religions. Sounds like man-made to me. Sounds like self-improvement to me. Only God could have come up with the idea that the God, the judge of all the earth, would pay the price for sin and offer us free forgiveness, not based on our, not based on our lives. Because God knew we never could be good enough. We could never be good enough to earn his salvation. But he earned it for us on that cross. And that's the gospel. And you know what? That gives me total hope. I've got, I, I know and I believe I will go to heaven forever. Why are you saying that, Pierre? Are you such a good person? No, no. I'm corrupt. I'm filthy. I'm perverse. I'm out of order. The only reason I can say that is my Savior died for me on a cross. He paid the price for my sins. And do you know what? My hope, my entire hope is not in my good efforts, my good works, my brownie points, helping grannies across the world. That's not my hope. My hope is in Jesus Christ, the judge of all, who paid the price for my sins. And today I'm acquitted because the price was paid. I didn't deserve that, but I'm incredibly grateful. I'm not going to turn him down. I'm embracing that. And I'm going to tell as many people about this free gift as possible because he did that for everyone. Wow. So here's the dream. The dream is the next section. We see that there's a problem and it's us. We see that there's a judge and that's God. We see the tension is that God loves us, but he's the judge. But he resolved the tension in Christ. And here's the dream. The dream is that justice will reign on planet earth. It says in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, talking about the coming of Jesus. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will rest upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. Speaking about Jesus, he will be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign over David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. Remember those two things? The very foundation of God's throne. From that time and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God's excited about making this happen. 2,000 years ago, a child was born, a son was given, and the government rests on his shoulders. Jesus Christ rules as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. The Bible says of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no ends. But the thing that Jesus Christ, this whole deal that Jesus Christ kicked off on planet earth, this kingdom of God, this reign of God, this dominion of God that's permeating our time-space world, it is set and it is destined to advance and advance and advance. So the good news is the future doesn't look as bad as the past. It might get a little bit worse before it gets better, but the good news is long-term, the future is incredibly bright because his kingdom is advancing and it's filling and it eventually will fill all and justice will reign. Oh, wait a minute, Peter. You see, let me, let me just explain a story here. There was, a, there was two people out for a walk one day and <clears throat> one guy had been religious but had totally fallen away. It was disillusions. And the other guy was a church leader. And they were having this discussion. They were out for a walk in the countryside 
The guy who'd fallen away from faith said to the church leader, ah, you don't believe that God stuff, do you? I've fallen away from that. I don't believe that anymore. And the church leader said, well, why do you not believe in God anymore? And he turned to the church leader and said, well, religion's been on earth thousands of years and the world is worse than it's ever been. There's more corruption, there's more violence and more suffering. If it worked, if really religion would have worked, I think things would have been a bit better by now. Do you not think? That man just so happened to be the managing director of a soap manufacturing company. As he was speaking, a bunch of kids were running through the village. They'd had a mud fight. They were covered in muds. And the church pastor turns to his friend and said, you know what? I no longer believe in soap. And his friend said, what are you talking about? He said, look at those kids. Look at the dirt in those kids. I no longer believe in soap. And the man says, you're crazy. They're dirty because they haven't used the soap. And the church leader turns to his friend and said, it's the same with the religion. See, I believe Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. And like any medicine, you could have a sickness, but unless you take the medicine, it ain't going to help you. And here's the testimony that so many of you have experienced. That when you've allowed Jesus Christ to enter into your life, to take up residence and to become the king over your life, when you allow his kingdom to permeate you, then do you know what happens? It starts to have an effect on your family. It starts to bring peace in your life. And before you know it, you start to become the answer for your community. You start to, yeah, and sure you've got your struggles. But really, if you look at it and analyze it, actually things are different that the Prince of Peace is spreading his kingdom through you. You've gone from being part of the problem and you now become part of the answer because his reign, his rule is starting to permeate through your life. I believe in soap and I believe in the power of God. I believe when you allow God to touch your life, when you allow his kingdom to touch you, then justice starts to take root. And it happens all over the world. This is the big dream, that justice can actually permeate our time-space world. That's my dream. It says in Revelation chapter 21 and verses 1 and verses 3 and 4, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Weird. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Where is the sea gone? No, sorry. (laughs) And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Yes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. What a beautiful picture. Not going to be any more tears. Not going to be any more mourning. No more pain. No more suffering. No more weakness. Wow. Do you know what? I've just described to you the future. Very real. I don't know how God will do it, but he will. The judge of all the earth will have his way. Justice will reign. I hate suffering. I hate tears. I hate seeing people sad. I hate seeing people broken. It breaks me to see people mourning. It's horrendous. Many of you are in those situations. God's heart is broken for you. And it's not God's order. It's not God's way for you. A day will come, but that will no longer be the case. That's, a, that's an awesome and a wonderful hope. But the good news is this. It doesn't need to be a distant hope. 
Because Jesus taught us to pray. And this is our mission. Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6.10. Your kingdom come. That world where there is no suffering, no heartache, no tears. Oh God, let that come. Your kingdom come. You will be done on earth as it would be done in heaven. God, I don't think there's much suffering in heaven. Would you please let us see some of that in my community? God, there's too much pain in my community. I'm asking for some of heaven to permeate in Leith. I'm asking for some of heaven to take over Gorgie. God, I'm asking some of, you, some of your world to permeate my world because my world stinks. It's full of corruption and injustice and stuff's going down that's not right, God. God, judge of all the earth. Let your ways start to take root in our ways. God, what's going on in Arissa? My friend's being threatened. He's trying to care for the orphans and some corrupt guy is threatening him. God, that's not right. God, would you pass judgment? Let your world permeate our world. Jesus Christ taught us to pray, your kingdom come, you will be done on earth as it would be done in heaven. And while one day will ultimately come where God will completely start afresh, there will be a new heavens and a new earth. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that will look like. I don't know. I don't know. It will look great though. While that is the case, that is a future ultimate reality. In our time space world, in the here and now, in this fallen corrupt world, we can start to see, and it's awesome, the kingdom of God starting to permeate. And do you know how? Through our lives, through church. It's our mission and it's totally possible. As churches grow, as God's people get the act together, as they start not just believing there's a great God, but actually allowing that great God to love through them and love their community and love people and do things for their neighborhoods and become better parents and become better kids and do their best in their, in their studies and work in their community and do the best in the workplaces and start to take responsibility rather than abdicating. And as we start living under his rule, his kingdom, his peace, his justice starts permeating an unjust world to the point where things actually literally start to change. In Calais, Colombia, a place that used to be the largest cocaine dealer and exporter in the world. In Calais, Colombia, simply because of the eruption of growth of churches, as the church has really just taken off and grown. It is reported that drug cartels that hold, held the whole area in fear and literally pulled the string of everything. They, they had the whole thing under their wraps. As the church's advances, literally drug cartels have fallen apart. Murder rates have dropped. There is peace in streets where they used to be fighting because of the church of Jesus Christ. In Helmet, California, the drug trades, uh, which used to completely consume the, the teenage population of that whole area, has decreased by 75% in that area. Why? Because churches erupted in growth. David Yonggi Cho in Seoul, Korea, with the largest church in the world, Today, the government comes and asks his advice because he's got nearly a million members in his congregation. They come and ask their advice. That's serious voting power. And they're starting to speak out on issues of injustice and, and things that God would be interested in. David Yonggi Cho uh, and that whole church have built an entire town called a welfare town where they give trades to people and skills to people who haven't had skills and trades, where they provide homes for homeless, where they provide a place where you can come free from addictions, where they give housing for elderly where their own kids haven't looked after them. Awesome. The kingdom of God permeating through God's people, making a difference. Last week, we saw a brief clip of the Dream Center in Los Angeles. The Dream Center in Los Angeles in the last three years has seen a 73% drop in crime rates 
simply because of the activities of that church. Bush arrived there and his take on that whole place as he got a tour of the Dream Center, the hospital and the campus and the church buildings. And he said, you know what? This is a model for the whole of the United States. Churches, folks, really can impact culture. The Glasgow church had a phone call from one of the social workers in Castle Milk. Uh, This is about six months ago. And the phone call went as follows. We're just phoning you to let you know that because of the activities of Destiny Church on the south side of Glasgow, specifically in the Castle Milk area, the, the, the social work department really don't have that much to do now because you've picked up so, so much of the reins of caring for the people and meeting the needs. That's what church should do. My dream is that as we exist in two locations as one congregation, is that uh, in Leith and from Leith into Portobello and to Joppa and to Trinity and round to New Haven and the docks and we can, we can permeate the kingdom of God and change statistics. And in Gorgie we can touch... Uh, Broomhouse and Sight Hill and Storfin and uh, all the heathen in Morningside and, and we can just we can and we can totally I believe we can we can totally transform culture. We can see His kingdom permeate culture. I believe it, and we're doing this shoulder to shoulder with other churches. So how much more of an impact can we all corporately, collectively make? God wants through His church to bring His kingdom. His dream. God wants to see coming reality on earth. I mean, God will eventually wrap the whole deal up and make it happen. But in the meantime, we have a privilege to start making it happen under his oversight. And here's the challenge. And this is the last section. Proverbs 21 and verse 3. To do righteousness and justice is desired by the Lord more than sacrifice. That's an important verse. Remember, we said that justice and righteousness are the foundation of God's throne. Well, according to the Bible, when you're, when you're committing yourself to the very things that God's throne is built on, when you're a person who's committed to justice and righteousness, and according to the Bible, God sees that as more important than sacrifice. Oh, I'll live such a sacrificial life. I'll live as a monk in a monastery. I'll, I'll give all my money away. No, no, listen. None of that counts as much in God's sight as you living a life that's committed to justice and righteousness. So let's start by treating people equally. Treat people equally. If you're poor, don't treat rich people differently from poor people. If you're rich, don't treat poor people differently from rich people. If, you're, if you've got friends and you've got some friends who are rich and some friends who are poor, don't hang out with the rich ones more than you do the poor ones. If you consider yourself educated, don't just hang out with the educated. Hang out with simpletons like me. If you're young, hang out with the old. (laughs) And Nancy, you must also hang out with the young. Otherwise, it's a form of racism. And that's not on in God's sight. You see, the Bible says in Proverbs 11 verse 1, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but just weights are his delight. God likes equality. God likes fairness. God likes justice. So you don't treat one person differently to another just because they've got this going for them, they've got these letters after the name, they've got this money in their bank or their particular race or a particular culture that you can relate to. That's not how things should be. Under God, we're all the same. We're all the same. Some people have just had different opportunities from you. Or maybe you just had a good attitude and worked hard. But either way, keep your good attitudes and serve people. So God's interest in equality. There was once a story of, it was in a British Airways flight between Heathrow and Johannesburg. And a white lady 
got on the plane and, and sat down and, and her seat was beside a black man. And she was very upset about this. So she called the a hostess over and said, excuse me, I, I'm very uncomfortable. I don't like, I don't like black people. Um, I find them disgusting. Can you get me another seat, please? And the hostess said, okay, calm down. I will go away and see what I can do. So she goes away and after a few minutes, she comes back. She, she says, I, I, I've had a chat with the, the pilot and we don't usually do this. As you can see, the plane is incredibly full. It's a jumbo jet. It's, it's very full. There's no seats left in economy class. There is one seat left in business class. But because of the nature of the complaint, we have also one seat left in first class. And then she said, given the circumstances, the captain feels it would be scandalous to let anyone sit beside someone who's so disgusting. So she turns to the black man and says, if you come with me, grab your hand luggage and you can have a seat in first class. <laughs> and then the other passengers in the plane all stood up and applauded. <laughs> and rightly so. And anyway, Jesus was black. So that solves all the problems. Take responsibility. How do you make justice happen on planet Earth? You take responsibility. Take responsibility. Jim Wallace, he was asked to speak in Sing Sing Prison. And uh, Sing Sing Prison, just on the outskirts of New York City. Notorious prison. He was invited to speak there by one of the inmates. One of the inmates had become a Christian a number of months before or a, number, a couple of years before. And while he'd been in prison, he had, this prisoner had done a theology degree. So he was a Christian. He now had some Bible knowledge. And he was really wanting to make a difference. So he invited Jim Wallace into the prison to speak uh, at a kind of open event with other prisoners. So Jim Wallace was in there. Outside of him speaking, he just got, took a side to this guy who'd invited him in. And he got chatting to this guy. And he says, so t- tell me your story. And he, he said, well, listen, in New York... Sing Sing Prison pretty much is made up of two or three districts from New York. Pretty much 90% of the people in Sing Sing Prison come from two or three districts in New York, ghettos. And he said, you know what, Jim Wallace, it's like a train. And the train comes through the ghetto, and when you're eight, you get on the train. And the destination is Sing Sing Prison. And I've seen it happen so many times that the kids get on when they're eight, and they end up at Sing Sing Prison. So Jim Wallace said to him, okay, you're a Christian now. You've done a theology degree. And what you want to do when you get out? What's your aim? What's your goal? He said, my goal is to stop the train. I want to stop the train. And that man's now been released and that's what he's doing. He's working in those ghettos, bringing the justice of the king, bringing the peace of the king. So take responsibility. Take responsibility for communities. Take responsibility for schools. Take responsibility for your family. We have an awesome lass on, on the team here, Jude, Jude Watson. And Jude, are you here tonight? Jude, didn't see you there. Jude, uh, stand up, Jude. Awesome lass. Come forward, Jude. Come. Come on, Jude. Jude, why don't you tell us? And you've had ages to prepare this. Jude, tell us about some of the things you're doing to take responsibility for our community and tell these folks how they can get involved. Well, there'll be hopefully quite a few things happening in the next year, starting and getting going. So one thing, going into all people's homes to offer friendship and company to those that are lonely. Hopefully doing street work with guys that are sat on the street who are in need of some food and a bit of chat. 
with ladies or men here in the sex industry, who are working the streets, Destiny Angels, Pregnancy Crisis Counselling, and other things. But yeah, if you're interested, come and talk to me. We're going to do really practical things to sort of help out the Ngorgis, cleaning stairwells, if there's parts that need doing up, litter picking, just so people know that the church is there and wants to do something practical to give them a hand. It kind of sounds like you need an army of people to volunteer, doesn't it? I need where on earth could you get people like that? Mm. I reckon. You thought this was planned, didn't you? Jews need an army of people. You're it. Take responsibility. Why not get involved? Why not give some time? Some of you, you're already maxed out involved in many other areas. It's all good. But this is also an incredibly important part of ministry. Why not get involved? Why not get your sleeves rolled up? Why not become a litter picker? Why not become a stay well cleaner? I did it a couple of weeks ago. It was really fun. I, I, I did litter picking the other day there. It was dead cool. In fact, let me tell you a story. Thanks, dude. I've got to chat to them now. Yay. Woo! Just to say the church has taken responsibility. Because too many folks' association of church is negative. So we change that. We can change that. When I was a Destiny College student, one of the things Destiny College students do is we pick up litter. Uh, and I, I, there's an art. You know those clipper stick things? Uh, this is a legit story, right? It's a little aside. It's nice to have them every so often. So... I was out litter picking and there was another guy who was studying with that year called Gavin Ross. He was a lawyer and uh, he'd given up uh, working as a lawyer to come to Destiny College for a year. I found a cherry tomato. <laughs> now Gavin was about for me to the PA desk away, so it's quite far away. So I figured, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lob this cherry tomato with my picker stick, you know, so you grab it and then lob and let go. And I thought, I'll try and get it to land near him. So he goes, whoa, what was that? You know, really funny. <laughs> so... I lobbed it, and do you know what? I got him. I got, <laughs> I got him right in the back of the neck, and what's more, the thing on impact exploded. <laughs> I, I honestly, I've never been able to do it since. I, I lobbed this cherry tomato. It hit the back of his neck and exploded on his hair, down his shirt, and everything. I thought it was hysterical. <laughs> Gavin afterwards thought it was hysterical too. <laughs> anyway, litter picking makes a big impact. Get your sleeves rolled up. Get involved. Get out there and talk to some homeless dudes. You know what? Just chat to them. Be a friend. Maybe you can get involved in, this, in helping in the sex industry. Helping them come out of the sex industry. Maybe you can get your sleeves rolled up and help with pregnancy crisis. There are alternatives to abortion. Maybe you can get involved in different aspects. We're going to start with one elderly home. Then we'll do another. And then we'll eventually we'll have a network of elderly homes. And we want to send teams out to the elderly homes and do a Christian service there. Sing some songs, make some friends, give them some chit-chat, play checkers with them. Have fun. Let them know they're valued in their old age. Show them the love of God. Sounds good fun to me. Sounds like we can learn a lot from that as well. So Jude's the man. Hey, Jude. You've got you to go talk to her. She's, she's the one who's going to make the thing happen. So give her your names, let her, let her know you're interested and let's just get teams of people mobilized to just do some stuff, take responsibility. And here's the deal, start locally. Start where you're at. Believe in justice locally. Jim Wallace, the guy I spoke about a moment ago, was speaking in Edinburgh at the Roxburgh. I got a chance to go and hear him and when he was there, he, he's, he's a personal friend of Gordon Brown's. Gordon Brown had talked to him and confided in Jim Wallace and said, Jim, just so you know, myself and Tony Blair, when we went for the whole making poverty history thing, the cancellation of debt. 
we wouldn't have had the courage to go for that had the British public not risen so strongly to that cause. We wouldn't have had the courage to push it through against all the, the pressure of all the other factors. But because the British public rose up and said they were for it, it was positive. We had backing. So you need to know that actually you individually and when we work corporately, collectively on issues, actually you can make a difference. You can have a voice. You can say things. Edward E. Hale said, I'm only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. And we've got to speak up. We've got to speak up for others. But let me read you another quote first from L. Wesley. And he said that there, are, there may be times when you are powerless to prevent justice. Then it must never be a time when we fail to protest. There might be times where you're powerless to change the thing, but there's never going to come a time when you cannot protest. You must speak up. Proverbs 31 verses 8 and 9. I'm going to end with this. It says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of those of the, all the unfortunate. Open your mouth and judge righteously and defend the rights of the afflicted and the needy. Do you know what? Some people do not have a voice of their own. Some people have no confidence to speak up for their situation. Some people are suffering silently and you've got to become their voice. Hey, listen, have you seen that person? You've got to drop someone's attention to them. You've got to maybe write some letters on their behalf. Maybe they're not thinking straight because they're emotionally all over the place and they can't speak up for themselves. So maybe you're thinking straight just now. So how about you go with them to the place and you make the phone calls for them and you write the letters and help it happen. Make it happen. Believe in justice because you believe in God. And that's the very essence, the very foundation on which God built his entire rule. And finally, it's all about number one. And when you go from having number one as yourself to changing it so that number one's God, then you have a different agenda in life. Number one being God changes everything. You see, you were never designed to live yourself first. You were designed to live God first. Others second and yourself last. Jesus put it this way. When he was asked, what is the most important thing, Jesus? Jesus answered and said, the most important thing is this. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And secondly, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Shockingly, he didn't mention you in there. You see, we think the most important thing is me. That's why everyone's been getting it wrong. That's why we're all being left disillusioned and thoroughly dissatisfied. We've been living for self. But Jesus says, actually, the most important thing is God. Live for him first. Love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And then love your neighbor as you love yourself. They're the two biggies. You put God first and live for the benefit of others, you will live a very satisfying and rewarding life. You'll be very happy. You'll be living a life that's fulfilling, a life of meaning. A life that glorifies God and benefits others. That's why you were born. Let's pray. God, we believe in you. And therefore we believe in the importance of justice. God, we don't believe we just happened. We don't believe we just began without any creator. We believe we are indeed accountable. We also recognize, God, that we have been the problem. And that, God, you are the judge. And we fear you and we respect you deeply. And, God, we want to be like you. We want to be people who believe strongly in justice and righteousness. We want to be those who speak up when no one else is speaking up. God, we want to fight the cause of those who, who can't fight their own cause. God, we want to express your love and your concern for broken humanity in a way that they can grasp it.
God, we ask for your help and ability to do this. I pray as a church, we will be a church that takes responsibility. I pray as a church, we will be a church that takes responsibility for communities. I pray, God, I ask in Jesus' name that we can literally change the face of Leith in the surrounding areas here and Gorgie in the surrounding areas over there. I ask that. I ask literally that we can change the crime rates. I ask that we can literally change the youth crime rates. I pray, God, that drug dealing will go down in these areas. I pray that there will be less divorces in these areas. I pray there will be less family breakdown in these areas. I pray that kids in these areas will find purpose in life because of our church's impact. God, I ask you, Father God, that we will not just have an eternal impact, but we will have a, a felt impact in our time-space world that the, the police and the government would say, this is awesome. Churches in this city are taking responsibility and things are changing. God, we ask, let that happen. And we say, God, use us. God, I pray, start with us. Start with the husbands in this room. Start with the fathers. Start with the mothers, the children, the wives, the brothers and the sisters, the neighbors, the colleagues, the associates, the acquaintances. God, help us, God, to, as we, not just to walk past need. Help us to meet the need. Help us to believe so passionately in justice that we will get out of our comfort zones and forget number one being ourselves. And we will put you first and we will go out of our comfort zone and touch those who need some of your justice in their lives. God, give us the courage to be that and do that. In Jesus' name. Okay, take a moment in his presence to make your own commitment to him. Take a moment in his presence to make an own, your own commitment before him to the whole cause of justice that God believes so passionately in. Father, hear our prayers. Take us at our word and empower us by your spirit to live this life. Make a difference. God, I pray tonight for anyone here tonight who hasn't yet experienced the mercy and forgiveness of God. God, I pray for anyone here tonight whose name is not yet in the Lamb's Book of Life. God, I don't want that to happen to them. I want them to be rescued. And I ask you tonight, God, you'd give them the courage to open their hearts to you. Okay, if, if you're here tonight and that's you, you know that you and God are not connected. You know that you're distant from God. You know that your sins are not dealt with. That you're still under the judgment of God. You've heard tonight that God sent Jesus because he loved you. He, Jesus died for you on the cross, paid the price for your sin, and rose again. Tonight, I'm just going to give you an opportunity just now to embrace that, to accept God, to say yes to him, and to choose to live for him forevermore. It's a big decision, but it's the best decision you will ever make. So tonight, I'm going to give you that opportunity. And if that's you and you want to make that you want to make your peace with God. You want to put things right. You want to ask his forgiveness. And you're willing to commit your life to him. If that's you, then I invite you to pray this prayer with me just now. Pray a prayer of commitment with me. Repeat it after me quietly under your breath. Pray, dear Lord God. God, thank you. You're a God of justice. And I realize, God, I'm a human being who's corrupt. I'm a sinner. You are holy and I am unholy. You are perfect, and I am imperfect. But God, thank you that in your love, you sent Jesus Christ. And Jesus, you, the innocent one, died for me, the guilty one, so that I could be forgiven. 
I could be accepted, that I could be clean in the sight of a holy God. I don't fully understand that God, but I believe it. And right now I'm asking you for that forgiveness. I ask you God to cleanse me. I ask you God to give me a new star. Thank you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. God, I believe that Jesus, you on the third day rose from the dead. I'm convinced you're alive right now. Right now, I make you the Lord of my life. I go from having me as number one. I now make you number one. Thanks, God. You tonight have accepted me and forgiven me. And my name is now in the Lamb's book of life. Thank you, God. Amen. Okay, keep your eyes closed. If you just prayed that prayer, something magnificent has happened in your life. And I would love the privilege of praying for you. If that's you tonight, you prayed that prayer. In order for me to know who I'm praying for, can I ask you to do a very simple thing? All I want you to do is, I'm not going to get you to stand up. I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm not going to draw people's attention to you. But just where you're sitting, if you prayed that prayer, can you just identify yourself and I'll pray for you. Just put your hand up quickly, then put it down again. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Put your hand up, then put it down again. Anyone else here tonight? You prayed that prayer. I'll just wait for one more moment. Thanks, man. Anyone else? Put your hand up clearly so I can see it. Is there anyone else like that? Anyone else? Okay, God, thank you so much for my three friends tonight. Tonight they're saying yes to you. And God, I thank you as they have asked you for forgiveness. According to the Bible, they're now forgiven. It's done. God, I thank you, Father God, that as they've put their faith in Jesus Christ, as they've taken themselves from being number one and they've put you as number one, I thank you, God, the Bible promises that they now have eternal life, that their names are in the book of life. And one day when we all stand before you, God, their name will be found in the right book and they will have an eternal life. And I thank you, God, that you have made that possible through Jesus Christ. So God, we honor you tonight. Thank you for their lives. I pray that tonight would be the beginning of an awesome journey for them. I pray that from now on they would walk with you, they would get involved in a good church where they can grow in their faith and that they would become stronger in their faith and they would live a life that brings you honor in Jesus' name.